Last week we uh, spent our time looking at Lamentations chapter 3 verses 1 through 12, or 1 through 21. Uh, we looked at the painful path, um, we looked at perception, and we looked at preparation. And we ended our time looking at the very end of verse 21, looking at the word hope. This week we're going to return back to the book of Lamentations and look back at chapter 3. And this week we're going to look at verses 21 all the way through 66. But I want to start again this morning with the word hope. John Piper wrote this about hope. The word hope in ordinary English vocabulary is generally distinguished from Certainty. We would say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope it happens. When you read the word hope in the Bible, like in 1 Peter 1-13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's, it's not, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I hope it happens. That's absolutely not what is meant by Christian hope. Christian hope is when God has promised that something is going to happen, and you put your trust in that promise. Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass Because God has promised it will come to pass. Understanding that the hope we speak is all about the promise of God. It has been promised by God and we know it will come to pass. When we read the word hope in verse 21, we read it not with our fingers crossed, not with doubt in our minds, not with clenched fists and and hopeful hearts. We read the word hope with assurance and confidence. If you have your Bibles, I'd I'd love for you to open them up to the book of Lamentations. And we're going to open up chapter 3, and I want you to follow along as I read verses 21 all the way through 66. This is what God's word says. In verse 21, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he's young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him. And let him be filled with disgrace, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone to crush underfoot all prisoners of the land in the land, to deny people their rights up before the Most High, to deprive them of justice 
Would not the Lord see such things? Who can speak and have it happened if the Lord does not decree it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slayed without pity. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. You have made us scum and refuse among the nations. All our enemies have opened their mouths wide against us. We have suffered terror and pitfalls, ruin and destruction. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. My eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees that I bring... What I see brings grief to my soul because of all the women of my city. Those who were my enemies without cause hunted me like a bird. They tried to end my life in a pit and threw stones at me. The waters closed over my head and I thought I was about to perish. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you and you said, do not fear You, Lord, took up my case. You redeemed my life. Lord, you have seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. You have seen the depth of their vengeance, all their plots against me. Lord, you have heard their insults, all their plots against me. What my enemies whisper and mutter against me all day long. Look at them, sitting or standing. They mock me in their songs. Pay them back for what they deserve, Lord, for what their hands have done. Put a veil over their hearts. And may you curse beyond them, pursue them in anger, and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. I want to break these verses, and this is a long section. I'm going to break these into just three points this morning. A hope renewed, hope declared, and hope restored. We can see hope being renewed In verses 21 through 24. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait on Him. This is the first time we come across this word hope or actually anything that would resemble the idea of hope in this passage. Looking out on the devastation of Jerusalem, remembering the grief and the suffering, he remembers. He remembers and he remembers he has hope. In his sermon on Lamentations 3, Charles Spurgeon used this illustration. He said, at the south of Africa, the sea was generally so stormy that when frail boats from the Portuguese were sailing south, they named it the Cape of Storms. But after the Cape had been well-rounded by bolder navigators, they called it the Cape of Good Hope. In your experience, you may have many Cape of Storms, but you have weathered them and all, and now let them be called the Cape of Good Hope to you. In the midst of your grief 
and suffering, in the midst of your pain and trials, do you take hope in the knowledge that you were not consumed? I mean, this is one of the things the author here remembers and and points out for us. Uh, The defeated and broken people here, looking out at this devastation, are reminded that they're not completely consumed. I mean, this says something for us. Right? I'm still breathing. I can still fight another day. I've lost the battle, but not the war. There is a remnant of hope here. Last Sunday afternoon, I I began to have a a sharp pain that ran up the side of my calf. And I I must have been complaining about it enough to to force my wife to finally say, Scott, you got to go to urgent care. Um, and, and we kept pushing that off. And finally, later on that evening, we, we went to urgent care. And so we saw the doc, and, and, and she felt that we should be slightly concerned. It could be a blood clot, and I should go get an ultrasound and find out. So I went, because you have to go by yourself. So I went by myself. So when I got back in the car, my wife asked uh, what happened. And I said, well, I'm supposed to get an ultrasound. And she said, well, when are we doing that? And I said, I don't know, at some point. So it was finally Tuesday. And around 9, um, it was really bothering me. So we went to the emergency room to get the ultrasound. And, and I get in, and I have the test done, and, and it comes back that there's no blood clots. But they said, since you still have pain, we recommend that you get an x-ray done. So they wheeled me off for x-rays. And, and once the x-rays were done, and I was back in my little room, all by myself, feeling lonely and just wanted to go home, there was a knock. And it was a young lady who was there to, to collect my information, right, so they could send me the bill. And she took my name and my insurance information as well as my place of employment. Well, eventually she gets to the question if I want to let my church know that I was here. <laughs> and I laughed and I said, I, I'll visit myself. Um, but we had a great conversation. And we talked about church and we talked about Jesus And as she was getting ready to leave, as she was pushing her cart out the door, she looked back and she said to me, remember, if you're feeling pain, God's not done with you yet. Well, my mind quickly went back to this text. Because of his love for us, we're not consumed. And his compassion never fails. He's not done yet. Now, my mind raced back to the text and I, and I began thinking about this being consumed, even in our pain and our suffering, comes in, whether it's in the form of correction, and, and if we're feeling that we're experiencing even the darkest of days, there's still evidence of God's compassion. There's evidences that, that come from His new mercies that are shown every morning for us. I mean, we can literally look out each new morning with hope and assurance and, and His promise to us. Think for a moment with me, how many sunrises and sunsets you've seen? I mean, for most of us, it's probably more sunsets than sunrises, but you've seen a few. Right? The beauties on display in these moments is just stunning and captivating. Right? When when you see the the red and the orange and and the sky is just ablaze, what, what do we do? We pull out our phones and we take a picture and then we quickly realize that the photo just doesn't compare. Every morning brings about a new day. 
It brings about new possibilities and new opportunities. And it's all about God showing his kindness and mercy to us. It's every morning. It's every evening. It's, it's like clockwork. I mean, you can actually set your calendar or your watch to it. The sun rises and the sun sets. And this is God's faithfulness. Philip Reichen said this, he said, The prophet addressed him personally and directly. Great is your faithfulness. In the process of remembering God's attributes, Jeremiah was drawn back into living fellowship and intimate communion with his faithful God. It becomes personal. It's it's a process of remembering God's attributes. He is Faithful to us. He's compassionate to us. Let's not gloss over that that God is more than just faithful in sunsets and sunrises. God is faithful in his judgments and how he performs them. He's faithful in his promises and his restoration. Notice in verse 24 here the words, the Lord is my portion. The author is declaring his dependence on God for everything here. Because of my dependence is on God, because my dependence rests on Him, my hope is in God and I will wait on Him. Those moments of pain and grief may feel like the cape of storms. But once you navigate through them, once you see God's hand in them, once you see God's compassion in them, once you see God's faithfulness in them, once you have walked through them, you will begin to see them differently. You begin to see them as a cape of hope. And this brings us to our second point, a hope declared. And this, we're going to look at verses 25 through 39 for this. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence. For the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him. And let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. To crush underfoot all prisoners in the land, to deny people the rights before the Most High, to deprive them justice, would not the Lord see such things? Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? The, the author here is now, now taking the hope and he declares it to the rest of the people who are in this pain and suffering, looking out on this devastation and their loss. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Verses 25 and 26 declare... They declare the need to wait on the Lord and to seek the Lord, to wait on His deliverance, to wait on His salvation. The Lord will help, but we must seek Him and wait for Him. We don't like to do that. 
We don't like to wait. It's hard. It's difficult. It's lonely. If you're a parent, then I'm sure you'll understand that moment. There's that moment when your child asks for something, asks you to do something for them. They need you, and your response is to just wait a moment. Just give me a moment. Let me finish this, and I'll be right there. I mean, it's probably binge-watching something or playing something, but you're saying, just give me a moment. I'll be right there. I'll help you in a second. And when you finally get there, when you finally get to where they are, you realize that they've already done it themselves. If they had just waited. If they had just waited, that mess would not have happened. If they had just waited, it would have been done right the first time. If they had just waited. We're not so far away from being like those children. If we had just waited. Remember that the judgment that the people of Jerusalem and Judah were under was because they would not truly seek God and wait for Him. They rejected and rebelled for generations and looked to others for their rescue. Charles Spurgeon writes this, he says, Do not be in a hurry. Do not expect to be delivered out of your trouble the first time you begin to cry out to God. Oh no, the Lord is good unto them that wait for Him to the soul that seeketh Him. I just want to point out that although there, there is a difference between hoping and waiting, and, and these are two, do, two very distinct actions, yet in the midst of pain and grief, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of looking for God for deliverance of salvation, waiting and hope begin to run very closely together. Now the, now the author begins to declare truths to himself, he begins to look a little more inward, speaking to himself in verses 27 to 30. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one that would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. Bear the yoke while he is young. This is the yoke of suffering. This is the yoke of grief. This is the yoke of pain and trials. We prefer to save those that are young from those experiences. We prefer to to help protect them from feeling pain and suffering and grief and trials. Yet the yoke is instructive. Yet the yoke is helpful. Yet the yoke is valuable here. We all know that there are seasons in life. And some seasons are are filled with great adversity. But it is often better to walk through those seasons when you're young. I know in my life, there are many trials or grief or pain that I've experienced as a young man that because of that, it has helped shape me and how I experience them now. Had I not walked through those painful moments as a young man, my view of it now would be much different. I mean, last week I spoke about the painful paths that we're on. Right? The one path is for our growth and for our character. Right? You're being shaped and trained. 
stretched and molded. I mean, there's many lessons to learn. There are many good things to learn when we do this early. Charles Spurgeon, he suggests many reasons why it's good to bear the yoke when we're young. It's good because obedience to God is best learned when we're young. He says it's good because it saves from a thousand snares. It's good because it keeps you from bearing the devil's yoke. It's good because it gives you more years to serve God. It's good because it gives you one many years of experience. When did you come to know Christ? We often speak about the benefit of coming to know Christ as a young child. All of the decisions I made until I came to know Christ. The many years I could have been serving God. The many things that I would have learned from that experience. The many things that would have pushed back or saved me from. Do not be so quick to remove the yoke. We also see here in the verse, let him sit alone in silence when it's laid on him. I read, I read an article recently um, about 33 hacks to make you sound smarter. I find myself, it's necessary for me to read those articles. I don't know about the rest of you, but I like to sound smart. But it was filled with, with really helpful facts. Um, things that, that I want to share a few of them with you because maybe they're helpful for you. Um, the first one is memorize facts and drop them into conversation. Everybody loves that, right? When someone constantly peppers a conversation with random facts. Uh, the next one is fake a British accent. I'm still working on that, but we'll get to that one. Um, fabricate statistics, right? Everybody enjoys that. Um, name drop is another one. But my favorite, oh, my all-time favorite, is that if you never speak, you won't sound dumb. I've actually said this to my children several times when I've said, you know, the less you talk, the smarter you sound. Um, But in the midst of our pain, it's often a good idea to not try and figure everything out. And it's hard for us. This is hard because what question do we always ask first? What do we need to know first? We always ask the question why and we begin to try to figure out why and we need to know the answer and so we just don't sit. But don't miss the opportunity for reflections in these moments. Sitting alone is not always easy. But listening rather than speaking... Paying attention without trying to speak answers will help in our growth, but will also help in our ability to wait and hope. One of the classes I had at at college was uh, a big part of it was silence and solitude, learning how to sit in silence. And part of the class was you would go out and, and for like the hour you would just go sit by yourself quietly somewhere on campus. And then you would journal about it and turn it in, and it was the best A I've ever got. <laughs> but it, initially, when I began to do this, I, I was distracted, it was hard to focus, and I would often bail very quickly 
um, in my hour. But as the semester went on, I began to find great joy in it. The hour went quickly. I was able to focus. I was able to sit. I was able to listen. Even to this day, it's one of, it's one of my favorite things to do, silence and solitude. It's a great spiritual formation that I, I still practice to this day. Being able to sit and being still and, and taking and, and shutting off the desire to constantly ask why. Even in our pain and grief, God will have compassion for us. And, and we see this. If, if we continue declaring faith, as we see here in verses 31 and 32, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. His compassion is a source of his unfailing love. We see this in Micah seven eighteen through 19. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This is great hope. This is great compassion. Verse 33, for he does not willingly bring affliction to, or grief to anyone. The, the punishment for the people's sins is, is coming from God because he is just. God is filled with compassion and love, but affliction and grief that comes from God's judgment is because God is just. We can see this explained for us more fully in verses 34 through 36. And as we move into verses 37 and 39, we see the idea that God is right. Who are we to complain against God? We're the ones who are full of sins. This idea of complaining against God, we we read about this in Job. I mean, the question of who are you? Were you there? Oh, no. We were not. God is in the right. God is always just. God is pure and he is holy. We are getting what we rightfully deserve. I mean, actually, we are not receiving what we should for our sins because of the steadfast love that God has for us. I mean, this actually should keep us humble when we think about how we deserve nothing. And yet everything we have in life is grace poured out by God. Our third point is hope restored. The author's approach has been one of humility. And he continues here with the urging for us to examine ourselves and look at our lives honestly. Search out and examine our ways. Sins can't be just casually mentioned or or even half-heartedly confessed and then dealt with. It, It should cause us to pray because we know that we have so pathetically fallen short of God's glory. God's glory deserves more than just our half-hearted confession. 
It's, it's a great time to be alive. I mean, it's a great time to be alive if you want to be paid lots of money for not really doing anything at all. I, I mean, you don't need much talent or education. I mean, you, we watch them on reality television shows. We watch them on YouTube. We follow them on Instagram and Snapchat. And we call them influencers. They tell you how to exercise or what products you should buy, where to vacation, or how to be your best self. I mean, I no longer need to read self-help books because I have a daily supply of wisdom being showered upon my feed every day. These wise, educated people who feel that their opinion matters so much to me. Or will it affect and change my life? Now, I'm nothing against influencers. Truthfully, I'm a little bit jealous. I joke with my wife all the time that I want to become one. But of all of our self-help and self-progress and self-examination is just here. With each other and the world we live in, then it does nothing to bring us closer to God. It is just vanity at that point. Joel chapter 2.13 Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. Tearing our hearts open before God. Rend your heart. The example we see in this chapter is a man who will continue to weep and cry out until the Lord looks down and sees. He will continue to weep and pray to the Lord because he has hope. Because he knows the promise. Because he knows God is faithful and his mercies are new every morning. He is willing to tear his heart open in this decree. The, the desperate despair, the, the painful grief are, are real. And he continues to expose his heart and he speaks for his people. Look at verses 54 to 57 with me. The waters close over my head. And, and I thought I was about to perish. I, I call on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you and you said, do not fear. Grief and pain is so great. It's as if the water has closed over his head and he feels that he's drowning. And I thought I would perish. Or, or maybe your translation says, I, feel, I felt lost. But in the depths of his pain, in the grip of his grief, he cries to the Lord and, and God hears his plea. In the midst of his being underwater, in the midst of the darkness of drowning, he cries out and God hears him. Oh, and God came near when he cried out. And he restores his hope and he gives him the courage he needs. 
We see that, that our hope can be restored here. Do not lose sight of that. Remember that we started this with hope. Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised it will come to pass. Understanding, oh, understanding that the hope we speak is all about the promise of God. It has been promised by God and we know it will come to pass. Is that how you see hope? In his book, New Morning Mercies, uh, Paul David Tripp wrote this. So remember today that no matter how hard your story is right here, right now, it is guaranteed for you. Oh. It is guaranteed for you as God's child that it will end better than anything you can now imagine, and that glory will never end. And we have hope. We have a hope that is renewed. We have a hope that we declare, and we have a hope oh, that can be restored. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, oh, we are indeed grateful for today. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the new mercies that we received. We're thankful that we have a new day to experience things, that we have a new day oh, to, to reach out and to speak about you. We have a new day, Father, to grow closer to you. We have a new day to confess to you. Father, we have a new day, Father, that is just out of your kindness and mercy. And we give you thanks for that today. Father, we realize, oh, oh, we realize that it is hard and painful and trials and suffering come at us. Father, there's different seasons and, and Father, in the midst of our seasons, it's hard to find words. It's hard oh, to be able to explain where we are and would we use your word? Would we find ourselves in this chapter and be able to use these words? Would we find ourselves, Father, in the midst of our painful path, Father, would we... Oh, would we take a moment and reflect on whether it is for oh, correction or for our growth? Would we be quick to confess if it's sin? Would we all oh, embrace oh, the way that you are shaping us? Would it affect our perception? Would we realize that, that the pain we feel is often different than the pain others feel? And would we have eyes as we walk with them? Would we prepare ourselves that pain will come? Would we remind ourselves that it is no longer a cape of storms, but we see it now as a cape of hope? Oh, and would our hope be renewed every time we see the sunrise or the sunset? Would we be reminded of your mercy? Would we be quick to declare your hope, not just to ourselves, but to everyone that will hear? And then, Father, in the midst of all oh, feeling the water above our heads, feeling the, the grip of the darkness around us, would we restore our hope in you? Father, this is our prayer. This is my prayer for the church. This is, oh, this is your kindness in our life. And Father, we know 
that it is only possible through Your Son, the One we call Lord and Savior. Father, we give You thanks for His life, His death, and His glorious resurrection. Oh, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.